I remember one YouTube comment I got, I got called Robotic Kermit the Frog. I did Man on the Street at Anime NYC. I wore a pink anime wig. What's the better city, New York City or LA? Oh, New York. Ah, <laughs> that's all I needed, that's all I needed. Hey everyone, this is Aaron Asher Simon and welcome to Real Gems. On today's episode, we're gonna be speaking with a guest who is a veteran of the sports content creation space. He's been creating content within sports and even sports video games across all platforms. He's gonna be joining us today to talk about his gems that he would like to drop, as well as the changes that we are seeing in social media when it comes to sports content. Please welcome Kofi. Kofi, it's so good to have you. It's so good to be here. Like. I love your nonchalant voice. I know someone <laughs> made a comment about it recently, like, dude, why do you, where they say like, why does your voice sound like dry paint on a yeah. wall or something like that? Like, this is, <laughs> this is just me. This is my default setting. I get excited for a lot of things, but I'm not gonna be like that, like put on a front all the time. Like yeah. this is me, like I am excited like right now, but, I'm, but if I'm like yelling and yelling, that means it's like, okay, this is something that I've like, been doing or like it's something I'm like really like genuine like it's more like shock mm. you know it's like on like on Twitch if like there's something that happens I'm like really shocked I'm like whoa like I'll do that yeah but I'm usually just so even keeled I feel do you ever get compared to uh does anyone compare you to Bobby Bobby from the podcaster where she's no. just like no 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 so... not <laughs> You, I mean, I've seen it because your voice is I mean, I wouldn't say it's like hers, but your voice is like very like just one level. And I feel like that's you naturally. But like, I don't even, I don't even know if I can do that. I was like, so how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Yeah. Yeah. Are you being sarcastic? <laughs> no, I'm not. Like, I can't yeah, like do she, that. <laughs> I can't. No, I, I would break characters for so I don't know. how. I mean, she, she has broken character already. Yeah. Yeah. But I can't. I couldn't do that for like an hour. I, I just laughed too. I just laughed too much, <laughs> like often. I someone called. I remember one YouTube comment I got three four years ago. I got called robotic Kermit the Frog, and that is <laughs> look. I love YouTube comments like that because I'm like, dude, you got me. Like it's funny. Like I'll, I'll I'll take it. They they don't YouTube comments don't really like get me like that, which is awesome. Well, speaking of a couple of years ago, let's actually go back to your beginnings. Uh, you started, well, you started in sports commentary, writing. You do um, a lot of social media and community engagement stuff with SB Nation. Mm -hmm. So to kind of walk us through your early beginnings. Like early, like when I first wanted to do this or early like college or early like. Wherever you want to take it, you know, just, okay. just, just walk us through the life. Kofi, no, just kidding. <laughs> just walk us through like Whole your beginnings life. of like this content creation and mixing and melding so I, sports stuff. So I guess the beginning of content creation is I went to the University of Maryland for uh, sports journalism and I wanted to be a play-by-play -play baseball radio broadcaster. That was my dream. That's what I grew up doing, wanting to do. Um, I In high school, I assisted the um, our school's football team in terms of their radio. They had a radio team, so I was their spotter. And then I would have a halftime segment. From then, I was like, okay, let me go to your, let me go to Maryland. Uh, let me try to learn under some of the best in sports journalism. I got to Maryland, and you, do you ever realize when you think that you want to do something, and then you meet like fifty other people that are way more passionate than I? Like that was what happened when I first got to college. When I thought I knew sports, but there are people that like know sports back of their hand, memorized all the time. So 
And then I called a play-by-play baseball doubleheader, so two games back-to-back. By the second game, I was like, I don't even want to do this anymore. I don't like baseball. <laughs> like, I was like, I thought I loved baseball. I stopped playing like four years ago. I stopped watching three years ago. I was like, why am I here? So I decided to shift more into digital sports. And that's when um, – so I interned at USA Today my freshman year. I interned at DC United my sophomore year. And then starting – in um, the end of my junior year, I interned mm-hmm. at ESPN's The Undefeated. Uh, mm. I think they're Anscape now. Yeah. Um, it was ESPN's first um, race and sports crossover website. And I w- interned for them for about three, four months. And then SB Nation came calling um, because m- the then boss, Michael Katz, I had known him since uh, freshman year. He was a Maryland alum. And he would come in and speak, and I, like, DM'd him, like, freshman year. I was like, what can I do to be able to work with you guys eventually? And I still have that DM, like, screenshot. Because <laughs> like, he was like, dude, that's, like, three years from now. Like, that was his response. But like, we can grab coffee and stuff. So then when he finally got a budget, he called me for – he's like, hey, do you want to be on the social team? And for me, I was a senior, and I was like, oh, I get a job out of college? That's sick. So um, I took that, and I left uh, ESPN at the time. So I've been at SB Nation ever since, and it's been great. So you're, I mean, you definitely were doing the social front really well. You have a very unique commentary. Um, So how did you, how has like the evolution of social media, like how has your commentary evolved or like your interaction with sports evolved on social media? I think working, so my first job at SB Nation, I was a social media producer at SB Nation, which meant that basically everything that was anything in sports, I had to at least tweet about, do a graphic on, maybe even do a blog post about it for, and then like the last part of those two years, I was feeling such burnout because I realized that I didn't like the day-to-day part of sports. Like I didn't like the, oh, who's gonna win the AFC East? I didn't really, I was I was getting really tired of that because when you run a social media page with like a big brand, you have to read all the mentions to just make sure like it's like for uh, safekeeping. And sometimes the mentions got really bad. It was, it gets really like interesting, like a toll, like mentally. But the sports thing I did like was being able to do research, being able to tell stories, being able to go towards history. So I guess that's how like my content has shifted. So we went to uh, Secret Base, um, which was SB Nation's YouTube channel. They rebranded into making more um, evergreen social media content. We do a different series like our Rewinder. We'll do a Beef History, which talks about like if two athletes are feuding over like years, we like record and do a whole timeline of that. And that kind of gravitated towards me more in terms of the fact that it's like, hey, I know about this, but I want to learn more. And that's what, like, my content, like, my inquiring nature has, like, kind of shifted more than um, just being at, like, hey, who's going to win MVP this year? It's, like, I want to be a little bit deeper than that sometimes. As someone who has the experience in in more of the traditional sports media route, and I would call it more of non-traditional sports media route, Mm. How has sports media evolved due to social media? It's it's interesting because I feel like sports media is at an interesting place where like all the legacy companies 
they're sometimes playing catch up and you can tell which companies like get it and which companies don't and there's been like definite shifts over the years that i've like noticed so there was a time back then where espn wouldn't put their highlights on youtube they had their videos natively on like espn this is before they rebranded this was a long time ago and then then finally they relented and now they have a youtube a youtube channel and they're just putting like all these videos on there and it's been cool to see that hey YouTube is cool now and now it's with TikTok and with Instagram Reels and all of that and you see some companies they go in on TikTok they go in on Snapchat and then others were like hey we might not like this might not be our forte right now or this might not we might not have the manpower for it because it's it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of places now to put content and I don't blame any sports company for being like we don't have to be on everything right now so I feel like it changes all the time, especially for me, like growing like growing up and like going to journalism school. There are a lot of things that the journalism school taught us that just doesn't apply now um, because journalism school, you were like, hey, never film vertically. That was like one of the big no no's. That was, that was probably like eight, year, eight, nine years ago. No, never film vertically now film everything like you can film vertically or if you film horizontally now think about what you would do for filming vertically in terms of like chopping it down putting it in a tiktok or putting it um wherever so it's just always just constant adaptation and i really like that i think it keeps things fresh and it just like you wake up and you're like hey i can do this but here are the other three ways i can do it and it's really it keeps me from feeling like i'm just bogged down in some kind of routine it's also interesting to see how we're starting to see those in sports anchoring or sports media or sports commentary who have a little bit more grasp on social media. Mm -hmm. One person is, um, for some reason his last name's coming to me, but I just know his name is Gary for ESPN mm -hmm. just because like, his name is Gary. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's why I remember it, like, his name is Gary. But uh, but it's been cool to see, because he did, like, I think he did, like, ESPN, um, I don't know if it's Snapchat or just more short-form content, but he's also on the desk. So yeah. it's we're starting to see the evolution of a lot of these traditional media are starting to embrace people who can essentially do both. I think that for a while, like, the sports journalism thing was, it wasn't a like you weren't supposed to be the personality per se. Um, you were supposed to be like good at your job and that like came from like the 60s and 70s. But like that's what made all of these like sports legends great because they were so good at their job. Like Howard Cosell um, back in the day. Um, you know, all of these people like uh, Kevin Harlan, Gus Johnson, all of them, like they're good at their jobs and they have the personality and that shines through. I think for a lot of people in sports media now, being good at your job isn't enough. You have to, f I feel like you have to have some sort of brand recognition because, you know, the sports media landscape, you know, I've seen layoffs across every kind of thing. And my thing is that our company, even at SP Nation, I've seen like four or five rounds of layoffs and it's terrifying, you know, it's terrifying, especially like if you lose your job and then, even the survivor's the survivor's guilt is terrifying as well. So I think about it all the time. So I was just like, okay, if if I ever get laid off, I want to have some kind of like fallback 
or like say have like a YouTube channel or a TikTok channel or a Twitch channel, like something. And I, that's why I constantly work on my personal kind of brand outside of my company mm-hmm. because it's just like a, hey, this is one, it could be a playground for content, doing stuff that I, I can do um, that maybe uh, the company wouldn't want or the, it doesn't like kind of like mesh with what the company, like if I want to do like like Zelda content, then like, like a sports site maybe wouldn't want it. But also it's just like, hey, if I want to give this content creation a try I and like something happens because people might associate me with the brand, I don't want to start from zero, you know? So it's been something that like has just stuck on my mind for a while. And, and speaking of that starting from zero, on Twitter, obviously you have been utilizing that to cover sports content. But for TikTok, it's interesting because you, you were doing the 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 series where you're like you stop the video when you be done with like the food that was being made and that was like what you started for you on your TikTok platform that's what really took off for you so i i when i first downloaded TikTok i had no idea what i was doing and i i was just like i don't know this was i think i think lockdown had just had started already and i didn't understand the for you page as much so when I was just like, I kept seeing all these cooking videos and they looked, they, the thing about the cooking videos is that they try to make it look simple, but I'm like, this is really, com- this is really complicated. I've never even heard of some of these ingredients. So that's where that, that idea for a series like came to be. And it was like duetting. It was like really quick. It was really funny. I could make like 15 of those in like five minutes, honestly. Um, and it, it popped off and I was very surprised and but then it got to a time where I wanted to like pivot to content that I actually like making and know about. And then I realized that all the people that follow and their TikTok page is like for you and food content or if it's like cooking content, if I start pivoting to sports and gaming, it's not going to show up on their for you page. So now I'm just like, oh, no, <laughs> do I? So then I, I thought about it and I was like, do I make other TikToks? I've made other TikToks and tried to like separate niche for niche. It's like TikTok's more of my like experimental platform mm-hmm. where it's like if like I have an idea for like a short form series, I'll put it on TikTok and I, I'll trust TikTok to like find the audience for it. But I do realize that it's not going to be like an overnight thing like it used to be. And it just, I if I if I had to do it all again, I probably would make a separate TikTok for just like the food reaction yeah. stuff. But I'm glad that it like got me like it made me learn more about the platform that I was on instead of just like hey video 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 and not learning anything from it. Was it hard transitioning from the content that went viral for you versus the content that you actually wanted to do? Absolutely, all the time. And I've, I've never been someone to do certain content because it's popular or because it's our most popular content. If I find, if there's content that I like and I'm not interested in it anymore, I'm gonna stop doing it. Like the same, like the thing happens for Twitch all the time. I see like if a Twitch game shows up like um let's say for example uh Baldur's Gate 3 Baldur's Gate 3 I'm really interested in Baldur's Gate 3 I'm I'm in like a D&D campaign I want to learn more about like that kind of stuff um but if I'm t- streaming on Twitch and 
I am like streaming for two hours Baldur's Gate 3, but I want to do something else. I'm going to do something else. I'm not going to just like stick with Baldur's Gate 3 just because like the consistency or like if I'm not having fun, I feel like the, that's my, my, if the top of my stream that me is like, if I'm not having fun, then I feel like I'm not giving a hundred percent to my stream. And then I feel like maybe like I'm not like I'm doing an injustice to like the people that are watching it. I don't feel like I feel like that's why I like switch around all the time. I do variety all the time. And like because whatever you see on the screen, I'm 100 percent interested in doing at that time. Is there any is there ever a time where you're having to get out of your comfort zone for the content? I think the fact I think that me staying like I'm not like putting on like I'm not like putting on my energy pills or like being like hey everybody like I'm not like a, that kind of person all the time because sometimes I'm just like hey guys we're just gonna chill we're gonna, we're gonna play some Zelda we're gonna relax you know and I've kind of like bought into that brand wise you know where it might feel like hey like I know I feel like more of like calm than certain like content creators or something like that but that that's who I am you know um there, the comfort zone I did do was I did Man on the Street at Anime NYC last year. I wore a pink anime wig and I went around interviewing people for like three or four hours. That was my that was my comfort zone thing because it was just the fact that I hadn't really interviewed people in a while. It was just like three, four. But like usually when I do an interview in journalism, like you you like either email and be like hey are you free for this interview or whatnot it wasn't like i have never done like a walk up to someone and be like hey can you talk about this or whatever and it, it was it was really interesting i don't i don't i don't know i don't know how kiara does it <laughs> like whenever i see those videos i'm like wow these are all like so good and i just remember how terrified i was doing it for like four hours so i was like just really like She's impressive, so. Oh, no, absolutely. She is, and, and it, it can be terrifying. And I think what just over time with repetition, it just becomes easier and easier and easier just going up to people because yeah. what's worse? They just say no, okay? Go yeah. on to the next person. For sure. Um, but in your comfort zone, you specialize in sports and video games. Talk to us a little bit about, like, what intrigues you about that convergence of sports and video games, and how do you use those two passion points to – for your storytelling or for your content. I think the cool thing about sports video games is that you can always like tell new stories. I know that sports always has these like what if scenarios and video games you're able to like use those as kind of like a toolbox to be able to create that where you can like trade whoever you want, you can put whoever on whatever team, you can there are so many different kind of scenarios and that is what appeals to me because that's what I used to do all the time as a kid. I was an only child and we didn't really have that many kids in the neighborhood. So playing video games and like doing all these scenarios be like, oh, this is so cool. They felt like I know both my parents are scientists, but those felt like my science experiments. So I think that those things for sports and gaming, the that kind of like and video gaming has like kept me interested in sports in some capacity because mm -hmm. there was a time there's a point where i just because at working in social media on shift sports all the time off shift i couldn't do sports anymore for a while it was like really really difficult 
to work an eight-hour shift and tweet about all of this and then like get off and be like hey you guys are you watching monday night football i'm like no dude I'm, i can't like i really can't so that's what got me into esports so i started watching a lot of like overwatch league and stuff like that so i was like hey this looks really fun so i've been like getting more and more into that just like even like over the years but i still like sports now because i'm not working in it in terms of like a eight-hour shift anymore so it's cool are sports video games in the worst state it's ever been yes and it's not, I don't see anything like because the thing is before microtransactions before all the money like stuff if you got like a complete game you know I, I go through all these old games I go I go to like retro video game stores all the time because those old sports games are not expensive because if you buy like let's say if you buy Madden 2002 it's like eight dollars because they're like 25 different other Maddens right um, and that's cool because I have all the consoles and I can go back and you can see how much attention to detail you can see how much like all these game modes packed in all these features that were in like certain games and taken out like there are a lot of features there in Madden you could create a play you can create plays create playbooks and stuff like that you can't do that now um, there are so many other like just things where it's just like hey you can see all the love and care put into game mode by game mode in 2k and all these other sports games but now it's just like hey you already paid 70 dollars for the game um but if you oh, but if you uh pay like 70 more dollars you can upgrade your character to an 86 overall and then you realize that if you don't do that you're going to be behind this in playing in this game mode that you really really love so it feels very like you you don't have a choice sometimes if you want to enjoy like a certain part of the game mode or a certain part of the game and these sports games have the illusion that you could like just play these multiplayer modes for free and still be able to keep up but it's really really tough the gap widens every year yeah microtransactions are like at its worst like you literally have to pay to play mm -hmm. and it gets really annoying especially because the progression of battle passes and just passes are just slowing down even more and more and more and most people don't want to like spend that time grinding for skins or certain elements of of, of uh elements of that transaction the items you get from it so oh no trust me i i'm like so over it too in your content well, what's interesting is you you talk you you talk about like the what ifs, the ratings, all of that. Mm -hmm. There's been so many different sports video games. There's been so many different characters and professional athletes. And ratings, as everyone knows, is important for the teams that you pick. What is the goat player across any sports video game? What is that goat player? What game, title, and year? I'm going to say Michael Vick 2004 Madden, obviously, I think. But I feel like the reason why is because of the two Maddens that happened after that. Um, I talked to an EA dev after I made like a video and he was like, um, yeah, for after Michael Vick and Madden 2004, Madden had to like make the game more about defense, right? Um, that's why Ray Lewis was on the cover the year after Michael Vick in the Madden 2005 preview. It's actually Ray Lewis tackling michael vick and that starts the entire trailer which shows that like madden knew that this player was like 
too good. And then I think 2005 when they added the uh, hit stick, which allowed for just more defensive like things you could do. And then the year after that, they added the quarterback vision cone, which allowed um, if you're more of a pocket passer, if you're not like a if you're not like a running quarterback like Vic, you're still able to see the entire field because you might have like such good awareness. And if if you pull up Michael Vick's vision cone, it's like very like narrow. And I feel like those two indirect nerfs to Michael Vick for the next two games afterwards just shows how good he was in that game. And, and that's why I'm like, this. it's the most compelling thing to me where it's like this guy was so good in this game that he had to spend the next two years like combating his skill set, which was dope. And clearly you have all like the knowledge and information for it. <laughs> and you have the knowledge, I mean, you have the knowledge and information in sports in general, but like when it comes to content, like we always talk about the creativity leading the content. Does your knowledge and information lead your content creation process or do you start with creativity and then fill the gaps with knowledge and information to lead that content creation process? I think I start with knowledge and information. I feel like that's the easiest thing for me because with sports video games, all this stuff is already there. It's now just a matter of like, it's, I feel like it's all sand. It's just like, how do I make the sandcastle? Um, it's a little bit different for um, like certain kinds of content. But I do look around the landscape and try not to like copy people directly. Like I take in, I'll take inspiration, but I'll take inspiration from people that like are not in sports, if that makes sense. Like I'll, you'll watch like a, a Nakey Jakey video or a Scott the Waz video or like a Burleazy video or something like that. And you'll like take inspiration and be like, oh, that's just cool. Like maybe it could work for sports. Like, um, and I, I'm never, I'm never not down to try new formats, try new things, you know? Um, I was in North Carolina two, two, three months ago and we live near a lake. And I just decided to like go out in the lake and like shoot videos there. And then people were like, wow he's always he's always changing the background and stuff now and i was like uh, yeah i guess because i was just like willing to try out something new and that's what i think is the beauty of content creation is that even if you're covering like the same topics you can still make them feel new all the time over and over again yeah and then also like with content creation the ability to to try new things, to take risks it can actually work out in the end mm -hmm. for you have you ever taken any creative or content risks that you actually benefited professionally from or personally from professionally i don't think i i don't think i'm the biggest risk taker but there are certain times where i just want to talk about certain types of content like with tiktok i think the biggest risk was seeing that all the food content was doing well and then just like stopping it you know i think that for me, a risk is like seeing something that is successful and then just stopping it. You know, for for Twitch, it was when we were like doing watch parties at game shows, and then I was just like, let me let's stop for a couple of like months, you know. And that always feels like a like a big risk to me because a lot of content creation feels like you're like pushing like like Sisyphus, like not not Sisyphus, but like pushing a rock up a hill. And you, I feel like you don't want to just like stop or like if you try something else, it feels like you got to like push a different rock up a different hill. Um, and it feels like in a space where like consistency and all of that, and, like sometimes sticking to just what you know or something like that will be like what gets you the farthest. 
for me, it's not like what makes me the happiest. So I feel like that's always a big risk when in terms of like, you see something cool, but then you're starting to like it less. Do you keep on or keeping on or no? Yeah, I, I, that's the thing I, I wouldn't say I struggle with it, but I'm someone who, I'm not gonna do a content piece just because it's trending or it's viral. Cause I'm always like, I don't wanna get stuck doing it. Like if it pops off, I don't wanna get stuck doing this because then it's gonna be something I don't enjoy. I, you know, for me, it's like finding that balance of doing something that you love, but finding a way that it works for the platform that you're on. Funny yeah. enough, I, sh I basically stopped using, well, I still call it Twitter. I'm not calling it X, sounds like a porn website. But <laughs> I still use Twitter, or I like I stopped using Twitter. Cause I was just like, I don't really care for this platform anymore. Personally, for me, I, I don't care. It was the thing for me where for years, Twitter was like where I had most of my followers before TikTok came along. But Twitter was the one platform that you couldn't monetize for the longest time. But I had started Twitter because at in college, I was in journalism and I was trying to like get a Twitter following. I don't know why, I just was like, I guess I was really bored my junior year. So I taught myself Photoshop and like taught myself how to do these memes and stuff and um, just played around with Twitter for a long time. But I really ignored the other platforms. I ignored Instagram. Um, I, I don't think Snapchat was in like the content creation phase that it was that it is now at that time. It's hard, it's like eight years ago or something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I've been like looking at other platforms always. I, whenever there's a new platform that I hear about, I'll get on, I'll try it. And if there's something for me there, I'll, it is what it is. I'll, like, I'll add it to the rotation. If not, I'll be like, Hey, at least we tried because I learned from like vine and all of that. Cause like when vine first started, I was like, this is like, I was in high school. And when Vine first started, I was like, this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life, right? Six second videos, what are we doing here? And then like three months later, I'm like, oh, I, the, I, the problem is me, you know? <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, I was wrong, all right. So I was, after that, I was like, I will never, I will never not like try yeah. anything. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm gonna try, see if it works, see if it turns into something. If not, cool, yeah. it's, it is what it is. It doesn't hurt to try. Yeah. Uh, and you've been trying all different forms of content creation when it comes to sports. And it has evolved, like you mentioned earlier, from like the, the, the traditional format to kind of the mixing and blending of digital and traditional. Where do you see sports content moving in the next like five to 10 years? That's the thing is that sports rapidly accelerates, you know, and it's because of either like, the trends that happen or the new uh, platforms that happen. I think the newest thing is that athletes are starting to take more control over like just how like how they're like publicly seen. You know, a lot of athletes are starting their own podcasts, their own production companies. Uh, there's that uh, player um, for Colorado, uh, Travis Hunter, that he is in college and he has his own show with Bleacher Report. Like, so he's playing the game on Saturday and then doing the show on Sunday. And I think that's a really interesting kind of thing. And I feel like we're gonna shift more towards that. I don't think that the non-athlete stuff is like going to go away, but I do think we're gonna see a lot of um, athlete access more than ever before because with the NIL and all of these things, like athletes 
are going to be even more prevalent you know you see athletes with their twitch streams now you see and it's really cool to see and it's really fun to see like what they like to do outside of the court or outside of off the field and i think that that's going to add a whole new element of like just how we look at sports and how we look at sports athletes and entertainment in general i do too i think it's gonna so this is this is kind of like i wouldn't say it's a hot take but this is what i feel like it's gonna happen we're gonna get more access and i think at some point we're gonna get back to restricting access i feel like in some shape or form we will go back to having some restriction of access because i feel like we're getting to such a point where there's too much access. That's fair, yeah. And I feel like there's gonna be a point where now there's gonna be that value or there's gonna be some kind of tech construction where that access is gonna be somewhat limited. Um, I don't know, it just feels like there's, I mean, but everything evolves, everything changed. I feel like in history, yeah. it's just a big circle. It's gonna go from like no access to access to, oh, I'm gonna limit. Cause then, you know, especially when it comes to college kids when they have like, People are gonna have too much access. Look, um, Angel yeah. Reese can't even go to LSU classes anymore because she's popping. To yeah, to like there, there's always that um, like the college athlete is just you're like so popular on campus where it's just like, but I feel like that's like the celebrity status of like a lot of athletes and stuff in general where it's like now on college i feel like it's going to be more ma more magnified to like a degree and i i wonder how m i am really curious about how many like student athletes that are like wanting to like focus on their college but like the celebrity aspect how much that gets in the way i'm really curious about that i mean i don't really have any knowledge or know how on like that but i'm really curious about like how we'll see that in like five or ten years for sure yeah, I mean, it's going to depend, right? There's going to be some athletes that will still have that value for the education front. And, you know, they can always go back. They can always – we've yeah. seen plenty of athletes go back to college later on. Mm -hmm. I think that it's definitely a whole other experience because, like, you know, yeah, I, I played soccer. I was D1, but just I was able to see so much of U.K. basketball. And the fandom was already big enough, but I think the NIL is going to add a whole other level. But what I would say is the basketball players and, and and more specifically the men's basketball players and the football players, I feel like are probably having an easier transition into it because that fandom was already around in some shape or form. I think what we're going to start to see is how certain sports and especially women athletes mm -hmm. There's a whole, like, and, and I don't say this in a bad way, but there's a whole new, like, higher mainstream attention towards women athletes that we haven't really seen before. And it's great. Yeah. And, and I love it. Yeah. But now it's like there's going to have to be more things that are being implemented at the university. It's like now you're going to have to have people who are going to have to teach these women and teach these people how to be celebrities early on when, you know, for men's basketball – some of these kids were quote unquote on a, on that status in high school. Yeah. And I'm not saying that just because they were in high school and they had that status that they know how to deal with it because they're still kids, right? It's still it's still a learning experience, it's still a learning no experience. matter where, yeah. what or where. 
you know it's just like is there like the support system in place or um is there like people to even just like watch before you know like sometimes when uh you have people like 10 years before be like oh this is how they did it like there's something like oh they can do this i can it's just like being able to realize that like your situation like there are other people that are like going through that situation I think that that goes a long way over time. But I wonder how these universities are going to adapt to it because, like I said, there were certain things that men's basketball, University of Kentucky, um, support services that they got mm -hmm. that no other athletes got. Now you're at a point where anyone can blow up as an athlete yeah. and become a, a popular digital online sensation as well as as a sensation on the court or field or, yeah. or wherever you are right i'm very curious to see how universities are going to adapt to it i really i really hope they put support systems in place for that as well you know i know that like certain programs where it's like maryland's known as a basketball school but it's like been decades on decades on decades and stuff i hope that like these other programs also get the support for, for that definitely I do too. And uh, it's gonna be interesting because also with NIL, things are like changing. Like, uh, what was it? University of Kentucky is gonna be one of the schools that is with the uh, Mamba brand. Hmm. Um, which I was like, wow. Like, yeah. So I guess, like, what was it? The. I'm like going blank right now. It was like several universities were selected to go to, to be part of the Mamba brand. University of Kentucky was one of the universities that got selected. Okay. Um, and I remember that because like I had people like tagging me in it. And I was like, I don't go there, but cool. Like <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But like I never got these but I never got all these stuff. I'm so mad. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm jealous. <laughs> but it's amazing just to see how much we're how much social media and how much the industry is changing on the on the sports front. And because of that, where do you see yourself exploring when it comes to like new media or formats? Or like, what is the new new in sports? Because it's the industry as a whole is changing drastically. I think that's a reason why I like to keep my content evergreen. I I like to be able to have people. Um, if if I have if someone comes across my YouTube channel like six years from now, mm -hmm. I still want every video on the channel to be relevant. So if they because I'm not making I'm not making a video for right now. I'm making a video for forever. You know, and that's why it's just like, I want to do a lot of things. You know, I moved out to LA from New York. Um, I want to get into like maybe voice acting, maybe screen writing, or maybe like getting involved with like video game studios and stuff like that. Um, getting involved with like indie games. Um, I'm currently, I've been, t there's this like a uh, project that's coming up that this dude is developing and it's he I tweeted out I want to get into voice acting he's like do you want to be the umpire for my game so I just like did that VO and then I heard myself and I was like dude this is so sick so I have like other goals and aspirations my other goal is to just like make friends with more twitch streamers I feel like it's very hard to make friends and like be collaborative with Twitch a lot of times because we all work in different places. And as someone that like has a messed up sleep schedule all the time 
I feel like it's more for me, it's more easier to like develop relationships in person. And for the last two and a half to three years because of COVID, because of me not going to TwitchCon, because of just like I feel like I need to not be on a content island and be more collaborative. So that's like also a goal of mine in the next like three, four years. Mm. But yeah, I got a lot of just I want to do a lot of things all the time. So it's a gift and a curse, I guess. Was it worth it moving to LA to pursue more content creation? Absolutely. Like, I love New York. I will always miss New York. There's nothing better than a New York night out. There's nothing better than the New York experience. New York does ruin, like it spoils a lot of other cities for you. But I feel like I'm that person where like, if I have this thing, if I have my karaoke bar, if I have my sports like place that I like to go, if I have these places where I feel like a regular, I feel like I'm home, I'm, I'm all in. Um, but I do like, like in LA, it feels a little bit different in terms of just like where I've been able to like go, who I've been able to meet, you know, um, the opportunities for stuff in my area feels more because in New York, I was friends with a lot of like stand up comedians and stuff. So I'd be in like stand up comedy clubs all the time, but I'm like, I'm not a stand up comedian. So like, I just felt like out here, you, I feel like I meet more content creators like up my alley. So it's real, it's good to be out here. You know, I feel like you can do, you can do content anywhere and you don't have to be in a certain place to like get the, like be a content creator. But I feel like this is the best place for me at this time. And I don't see myself moving for a while. Yeah. yeah. Wait, so what's the better city, New York City or LA? Oh, New York. Ah, <laughs> that's all I needed. That's all I needed. It's, dude, but the thing, the thing is about the thing is about that is that look, it's hard. It's hard to beat New York in terms of the public transportation, in terms of all of like the the free stuff you can do, and all in terms of like the versatility of stuff you can do. You can. I feel like I don't. I've only been here less than a year, so people, if they're like, you don't know about the real LA, that's totally fair. I uh, um, but I just New York is great, but I need to be here if that makes sense. Yeah. Like uh, so, and I'm not missing. Like I miss my friend. I miss the friends of New York, but I'm also having the time of my life here. Oh, uh, you know? trust me. I same boat. Left yeah. New York, came yeah. here to pursue more of my career. So I, I 100% get it. All right, so we have just uh, two to three fun questions. Okay. I this is kind of a new thing I want to add to the show, just to show a little more of your guys' personality. So I got some, <laughs> I got some sports, I got some sports questions for you. Got it. If you could have a front row ticket to any historical sporting moment, what would it be and why? Oh man. Ooh, sporting event, sporting incident. It's probably a weird one, but I'll probably say the Steve Bartman incident. Uh, For those of you that don't know, uh, the Chicago Cubs were like generationally cursed for years and years. It was the year, I think it was 2003. um, Chicago was so close to making the World Series and breaking the generational curse. A foul ball goes to left field and a fan, it goes to like where a fan can touch the ball, but like the, the outfielder can also catch it. And this guy, he, the, the Cubs are up 3-0, by the way. They're up three games. They're not up three games, nothing. But they're up three games to two, and they're up 3-0 in the game. Um, Moises Alou goes and reaches for a foul ball. 
and a fan interferes with the catch. Like, so the ball gets dropped. It's a foul ball. And Florida then goes on to score eight runs in the inning. Chicago does not make it to the World Series. And the guy, Steve Bartman, goes into hiding for years because the whole city of Chicago blames him for, like, not being – for. they blame him for, like, interrupt, interrupting the foul ball or whatever, but that's something any normal baseball fan would do. You go to baseball games all your life. It is your dream to catch a foul ball and be able to take it home, put it on the mantle, yada, yada, yada. Now, I've seen the two documentaries about that where this the entire, like, shift of Wrigley Field, and I feel like that was just an interesting because – you don't believe in certain things in sports, but you believe in like maybe believe in like momentum. You believe in like, hey man, like if you're a team of a if you're a fr- if you're a fan of a bad team and you're like, you know that something bad's gonna happen. And you're like, I I wanted I would be interested in being there. I feel like that's a very unique moment. Like, I because that's like that's always stuck with me. Cause I had that game on VCR as a kid, and I would go like replay it and replay it. And I was just like fascinating. I was like, wow, I probably. I wonder what it was would be like because at the time growing up, I was like eight or nine. I did not know about the whole weight of that situation until like years later. So I think it, I, that fascinates me. Dang, that's like some deep, heavy shoulder <laughs> sports moment. I thought you'd be like, oh, I'm gonna walk. I'm like, like, but I love that. I love how you pick something so unique um, that I think that like. Honestly, like, I think that just shows, like, how deep your knowledge and information is of sports. Because I feel like for some people, they may pick, like, typical, like, very, very known. And I'm not saying, like, this is not known, but, like, for people who don't watch baseball. I don't know about this, but I know about some of the other stuff that's happened and things like that. But I think it's dope. So uh, my last one is what's the top three best sports video game soundtracks? All right, I'm going to go number one. I'm going to go Madden 2007. I think that with the amount of songs that are on there, but the versatility of the genres, it really, that game on top of Guitar Hero and like Rock Band were what really got me into like rock music or like like expanding my horizons musically because I was like 12 and I was just like listening to, you know, the radio hits at the time. But then like Madden comes out and you hear like the, like you're like this guitar solo is crazy. Like I've never even heard like something like that before. Um, okay, Madden 07. I'm gonna go NBA 2K10 because I love that game, even though it's a technical nightmare for Xbox 360 at some points. But um, it just had again another just versatile mix, and it had um, I think Kanon, Modest Yahoo, uh, MGMT. Like it had like a he had a bunch of like great artists and i i had no idea i was like 15 but then you like five years later you're like oh my god 2k had like a budget for this soundtrack you know um and then the last one i'm gonna go with is ncaa march madness 2005 where all of the all of the songs on that soundtrack were band covers of like popular songs so like a little less conversation, like the Elvis song, but like the band, and it really like added to like the atmosphere of like you're playing a college ba- you're playing a college game because you hear the band and it, the soundtrack's only like nine, or like nine songs, but it like just does the job for sure. 
Hey, if anyone needs someone for sports, video games, you got the guy <laughs> right here. Or just sports in general. Yeah. Sports and then the branches out. Kofi, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can everyone find you online? Uh, thanks for having me. You can follow me on Twitter at Kofi, K-O-F-I-E. And you can follow me on Twitch at Kofi Y, K-O-F-I-E-W-H-Y. Same for TikTok. Instagram is my full name, Kofi Yaboa. And then YouTube is also Kofi Y. And then my Reddit, I'm starting to put videos on Reddit now. It's an experiment. Um, it's also Kofi Yaboa. So, hey, yeah. you got to try. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Once again, I really appreciate you stopping by. Dude, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, of course. I always love talking to you. This is like, <laughs> now we're talking in person versus online. So thank yeah. you again. And thank you to all of the viewers and listeners who are tuning in to today's episode. Drop in the comment section, what did you love about this episode? What is a gem or a moment that you appreciate? Make sure you also follow us on all audio platforms and also on YouTube. If you love today's guest, well, guess what? We have more amazing guests coming soon. But until then, I'm going to have to say farewell. And my name is Aaron Ashley Simon. I'll see you.